Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. XP podcast with your host Steve Fielder and me Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. Hey, Steve, this next episode we're going to do is so important. It is something that you and I have been very passionate about for so many years in our work, and uh, that is conservation efforts efforts by houndsmen across the country. Well, absolutely, Chris. And uh, you and I both have perhaps seen a side of the issue of protecting the right to hunt with hounds in a way that the average person that's listening to our podcast may not be aware. And I think that's what we want to explore with our podcast today is, is uh, getting uh, down to the brass tacks of uh, what this effort to preserve our sport is all about, why it's important and what our listeners can do to get involved, because if they don't get involved, uh, they're going to lose their sport, plain and simple. Yeah, and I, you know, we've talked about this a hundred times, and and uh, I'm very direct on my approach to things. And, oh, come uh, on now. <laughs> very direct, and some parts I just want to stand up and, and uh, kick the door off the hinges, but I can't. If guys don't start paying attention to what's going on around them, uh, we get involved with our hounds and stuff, and that's great. But there's people coming after this sport that we all enjoy from the from the east coast to the west coast, from the northern border to the southern border to the Gulf. And and uh, if guys don't start understanding how to get involved in this fight, then we are going to lose it. It's often said that the Humane Society of the United States is planning their strategic uh, strategic maneuvers up to five to seven years down the road. Yeah, and they have the resources, uh, Chris, that we'll never have as a hound community. Uh, I hesitate to use that term because there certainly are ways that we can beat them at their own game. But we're not going to match them dollar for dollar. We never will. No. And it's going to take some uh, some creativity, if you will, uh, some determination. And uh, there's a track record that's been established. And I think with our guests that we'll be meeting later today, we'll see uh, how strategies can be formed and tactics, tactics devised that can win. But it certainly takes involvement, and it takes involvement at the grassroots level. 
And that means every person that's listening to this podcast, if they plan to unsnap a dog into the dark or into the big woods this fall, needs to get involved in the issue of uh, legislation as it pertains to hunting with hounds. I heard this week, and I couldn't believe it, that a coon hunting organization for a state, a state organization, discussed in their meeting the desire not to be involved politically with anything going forward. Blew my mind. We can't afford not to be. And that doesn't mean that everybody's got to step up and and be the guy standing behind the mic or, or standing up in front of a legislative body. There are so many things that that everyone can get involved with with their, with an organization. For, if you don't have a state organization, go start one. Uh, you and I have both been in that arena. We've started successful uh, hound organizations. So I'm available, and I know you're willing to help people and, and get them off on the right foot of getting this done. Absolutely, Chris. And there's a, there's a world of support out there. And once again, the gentleman that we'll be talking to later today is a champion for dog owners or dog hunters and, and owners, uh, rights and has proven so over the years. But, uh, yeah, every one of us can do something. Even if it's all, even yeah. if it's just flipping burgers at the at the next state hound meeting, you know that is that's doing something. Uh, maybe you're gifted with the gift of gab and philosophical, you know, and you can articulate yourself very well. These organizations need that too. But but um, I know watching you over the years at hound events, you were always the last one to leave. And even though you were usually running the whole thing, I would watch you walking around there and picking up trash. And uh, it motivates people. Everybody has a role to play in this thing. Well, <laughs> you know, with me, it was always being willing to do something that someone else uh, thought too insignificant or too unimportant to do. And for some reason, I always felt that the devil was in the details and, uh, yeah, I remember those mornings at Autumn Oaks uh, walking around the bleachers picking up the uh, tobacco cups. <laughs> spit cups. Uh, spit cups, yeah, so that the people who came into the show or the award ceremony that day would have a, a nice, clean place to sit. And I'm not asking for praise for any of that. But, yeah, the little things, the issue is the little things are important. No one can do it all. But everyone can do something. You and, know, and there's been a lot of success stories out there, and we're going to hear some of those today uh, on this podcast, how teamwork and networking can can really build your credibility and your influence and, and make an impact. Absolutely. Chris, we can't emphasize enough that our sport – this thing that we do with hounds is in grave danger. There are forces at work right now, as we speak, devising ways to stop us or to control us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our hounds. 
I cannot emphasize that enough. Our listeners cannot ignore that anymore. It is the solid truth, and it is our goal, and you and I have discussed this many times as we prepare for these podcasts, that it is our goal to bring Hound's people together under a common cause. Fellowship, yes. Information, yes. But to bring us together as a working organization, although it may be loosely structured, we don't all have to belong to the same club, but we all have to be dedicated to the proposition that hound sports are in danger and we have to be involved. Yeah, that's what else is there to say? I mean, it's time. Uh, I look at social media posts and different things that are coming out. There's initiatives happening in states all over the country to restrict hunters' rights. And we just we can't afford to give up another inch without without uh, putting up some sort of a, a resistance here and, and networking and being able to to be in the fight is is going to going to delay those efforts or like we're going to hear today it just absolutely stomped the guts out of some of these anti anti-hunting organizations so it's going to be of all the podcasts we've done steve i've never felt uh more informed and and capable of speaking on a subject i'm going to really enjoy having our guest on today well i am too chris and i'll leave our listeners before we get into our visit with our guest today with this thought every time there is a town council a a county commission or a legislative uh, committee hearing there is the opportunity for someone to start the process into motion that will take our hounds away we have to remember that and that's where we can get involved at the grassroots level whether it's going to a town council meeting a county commission meeting or traveling to the state capitol to attend a legislative hearing we all simply can get involved some can do it monetarily some can do it merely by being there and having their voice heard it's going to be a great podcast today. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Oh, me too. So without further ado, let's uh, roll this thing. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, everybody. We're glad that you're back with us for this episode and uh, got a little hollow sound, so I am not recording from the uh, Houndsman XP base camp in Bear Branch, Indiana. I had to call an audible today because of some technical issues. So, but I'm not going to do a whole lot of talking today, anyway. Steve, you're uh, you're going to lead this thing off and set this this up, and I'm just going to be here for comedy relief and uh, to chime in from time to time. Well, I hope your jokes improve. Uh, <laughs> since the last time, Chris. No, seriously. Uh, uh, 
I'm mighty glad to be on the podcast with you again, Chris. And well, every 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 week for you, Steve, is uh, uh, <laughs> it's one more. I, I gained one more place in the checkout line. I understand that. I'm in the Walmart of life right now. I'm in the checkout line. Yeah. Sure. Every week we can do this is a big accomplishment. <laughs> that is for sure. Well, I tell you what, Chris, I'm just really super happy today to introduce to our audience the, the guest that's going to spend the next uh, few minutes uh, with us. Uh, I moved to Michigan in 1983, and I was living in West Virginia, and you get the stereotype that people in the North aren't friendly and and that they're, you know, cold and indifferent. Uh, I know that's not true, but that was the stereotype that I took with me when I moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan in 1983. And I found the people there to be exactly opposite uh, of that stereotype. I made a lot of friends up there, people that I still hold dear. Some of them, unfortunately, have passed on. But in my work up there with the registry, United Kennel Club, one of the duties that I uh, assumed when I took the job was to work on canine legislation or legislative affairs. And uh, I'm not going to spoil that whole story, but one of the people that I met uh, along that road was our guest today. And uh, I met him through the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation and we became instantly hit it off because this guy's not only a great uh, uh, advocate for hound issues and dog issues in the state of Michigan, he's also a houndsman. Uh, I'm really happy to introduce to our audience today, Mike Thorman. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good, I think. Probably a lot better than I deserve, Steve. <laughs> Well, Mike, to open this conversation today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about who Mike Thorman is, um, his background, and his involvement with dogs, first of all, and then we'll talk about how you got involved uh, with uh, the, the current activities that you uh, do for the Hunting Dog Federation. But uh, tell us a little bit about Mike Thorman. Well, Mike Thorman come from a hunting trapping family totally i mean that's that's what i was raised doing right from the word go and uh, uh my dad never had hounds i was his hound uh i was so glad when my brother got old enough to track uh dad had bird dogs and hunted pheasants and deer but when it come to hounds i was it we'd jump a fox and i'd track it and he'd circle out or a rabbits started with rabbits I had to track them rabbits and bark, and he and my uncle would shoot them when I circled them. And if I missed it, I was well, never so happy as when my brother was old enough that he could start being the dog. So now, but, Mike, come on now. I know you're a you know you you embellish things. Honestly, you <laughs> ran a rabbit track and barked on it. You're telling me every Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Did you uh, get some that is absolutely the truth. Uh, and and I didn't do it one or two times. I did it for like four years till my brother caught up, was old enough to do it. 
Well, I was doing that. I started that. I think I'd be seven or eight years old. And it, you know, did they put a little extra kibble on your plate in the evening if you did a good job? <laughs> no, they would. They would say, you know, you did a good job tracking that one. You know. Yeah. And I made them mad once. I moved like a cow, and that just ticked them right off. But my uncle had coon hounds, see? So the uncle lived rabbit hound with us. So we'd hunt pheasants, and then we'd go out with the coon hounds at night. And I liked that. There was a gentleman named Al Howell. Was, oh, he was a houndsman's houndsman. And he kept his dogs in a little orchard right behind my house. Uh, and I... I just, Al would pay me 50 cents to run about a two-mile drag. Uh, but I was just a little kid. I, I knew that country back there. We hunted it so much. And I just always loved that. I just loved the hounds, you know. So it's always been, always been important to me. I got you. So then you went through college. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't have any hounds or anything when I was in college. Um, got out of college, uh, old class B schools, 500-some kids. I was the football coach, baseball coach. Started there in, the, like, 70 teaching. And just a little point of interest doesn't have anything to do with dogs, really, kind of. But back in the 70s, the kids would bring their shotguns to school on the bus and put them either in the principal's office or my coach's office, and after football practice, we'd go pheasant hunting. And, and that, just think how much things have changed since then, for crying out loud. Uh, oh, I, absolutely. I think it's society's, oh, the good old days. And actually, back then, too, I taught hunter safety right as part of physical education class, right in the classroom. So anyway, I've always been a talker, as you'll probably know before this is over. And uh, I got, when I got done with college, my brother and I bought our first hound that was going to be ours, a fox hound, a liquor bread, and uh, what other one was it? had a whole bunch of national champions. That son of a pup could run a fox. There were no coyotes then. And uh, now I, uh, I got involved with a man, if you're a red bone at all, a man named Tom Schutz. I don't know if you ever heard Tom. of him. I remember Tom. He, Yes. In fact, the Hunting Dog Federation, I've created an award we give every year to a, a senior houndsman here in Michigan that does everything right, plays by the rules, you know, and, and is very successful. And we give that award every year. Uh, Joe Hudson. We gave that to Joe Hudson, the president of the UP Bear Houndsman this year. But anyway, I had these fast dogs, and I don't know. If you want me to rattle on, I sure can, how I got involved in this. I started teaching school for $6,000 a year, and that wasn't a heck of a lot of money, but that's right back when Fox up here were worth 65 bucks, 70 bucks a piece. And I got in with a crew of guys that the first dog into the Fox got half the money. Well, holy hawk, I, I was happier than heck with that. because I had I had a couple really fast dogs, and... And I thought, wow, this is like getting a raise, you know. But then they wouldn't run a track that was a half hour old. I mean, it, it had to be a jump track. But once they got it, mister, they could run it. 
But then I met Tom Schutz. I moved up here in Lapeer County, met Tom Schutz. And he had a dog named Jack. And you'd have to go all the way back in pedigrees to see a dog named Yazoo Tom Chuck. If you looked way back in pedigrees, every, every one of them foxhounds and big name ones had that name in there somewhere. And by golly, we took it out one blowy day, snowing. You couldn't see a track. We found where a track come across the road. You could see it in the road in the ditch. And once it got through the brush, out in open fields, farm country here, there was no trace of that track. I said, we better find something else, Tom. So oh, I think old Jack could get that jump. And I'm just, the only experience I had was my dogs, you know. They wouldn't have an ice cube's chance in Hades of getting that jump. Tom got old Jack out, smelled that in the ditch, put his nose down in the snow like a snow plow, went across, down, went about a half a section, had it jumped. I looked at him, I said, I'm getting rid of all my dogs. <laughs> I want one like that. That's my goal. And uh, I did. And it's, that was uh, probably 48 years ago. And uh, Tom had some pups, and I got a pup. And I guess the end of the story is I've got six hounds out here now. Every one of them can trace back to that that old original dog of Tom's. And... Uh, People say what kind of dogs you got. They're walker dogs, but I say they're inbred mutts, but they seem to do pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Mike. I, you, you always, when I started out, I remember uh, I didn't know a good dog from a bad dog and uh, thought I had good dogs until I hunted with a, until I hunted with a great dog. And uh, yep. it's just amazing how every houndsman goes through that evolution for sure. Some of them never get out of it. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's just the truth. Well, I, I got to be careful. I just tell it like I see it. But these dogs, what I look for in a dog and what I take pride in is, is I want to start to finish dog. And I've bred these dogs over the years. If you look at them and say, man, they got a lot of running hound in them, but not so much anymore. Um, I look for that narrow front and that long, deep rib cage like a thoroughbred horse, you know, and uh, tight feet. And, and look for that. But I also want a dog that will walk and straddle a track if he has to, but will run the wind and catch game if he can. Wow. And uh, yeah. I won't have a dog that won't have that. Well, when did you transition to bear hunting with your hounds, Mike? Well, well, I was a football coach. So I was one of them for a long time. I think up to 1995, I coached football. And, uh, and I couldn't, you can't be a bear hunter and coach football. You haven't practiced during training season and games during hunting season. So I just stuck with coyotes and fox. And then I fell in with a family of bear hunters here after I got done and I hunted coyotes with them. And they said, bring them dogs up and see if we can run bear with them. By golly, we could. And, uh, I've been going ever since. I, re I like to run bear. Now, people think I'm crazy. I've never killed a bear. I've, I've never felt the urge to. But a lot of bears have been killed uh, with the use of my dogs and my buddy's dogs, you know. I just, I've killed a lot of stuff. And dog hunting, to me, Steve, boy, when I was young, the family I came from, we were body count people. 
And once you get them dogs, once that gets in your heart, you just care about what the dogs are doing. You know, you know, well, you're just like my dad. Yeah. My dad would fit that mold, uh, perfectly, Mike. I never saw a more, uh, dedicated or intense hunter, but I also never saw a hunter that cared less, uh, about killing the game. He did it strictly for the chase, for the dog work, for the camaraderie of the guys in his hunting party. And I've seen him many times go into a tree and he's, uh, he's petting the dogs, watching the dogs, how they're acting. Yep. And sometimes never look up the tree <laughs> until I'd say, there he is, dad, you want to look at it? You know, it's so I can but, identify but with that. that. I was raised by a hunter like that. And that's, you know, that's uh, the position that the two bear hunting groups uh, and the Hunting Dog Federation has kind of a, not kind of, we've absolutely adopted the resource has to come first and advocate on the side of the resource more than the side of the harvest. Well, and, let's uh, talk about yeah. those associations and affiliations that you have Mike, uh, I met you, first of all, at uh, the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation meeting, uh, I believe. Am I right on that? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, uh, if, if I can set the stage just a little bit for that, Mike, uh, to our listeners, the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation was founded, I believe, by a guy, guy named Arnold Welch. Is that right, Mike? Yep, yep, and yep. He Arnold was Welch. Yeah, and he was a coon hunter from the same part of Tennessee that my dad came from. And I remember going to the first meeting. Uh, the meetings were held on Tuesday night, if I recall, at the Michigan yep. United Conservation Club headquarters there in Lansing. Is that right? That's extremely accurate. I wouldn't expect <laughs> anything else out of you. <laughs> well, t well, tell me how you got involved, Mike, with and what, what uh, enticed you to come to the meetings? Well, you remember a fellow named Jim Ballard. Remember Absolutely. him? I, I do. And Jim was one of my former students. And before I ever heard about the Hunting Dog Federation, Jim says, oh, they're having some big meeting about coon hunters over at that's M-U-C-C, -C, and I want to go. You come with me. Oh, all right. So I went, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, I've seen this happen before, not so much lately. Our DNR has really changed now. But the biologists there were using a vocabulary, a scientific vocabulary and phrases that the coon hunters were having a hard time understanding. And I'm not belittling anybody. It's just the way it was. And, but being raised in the hunting world, I knew, you know, coon hunters have their own language, right? They do. You know, what they speak of things, you know, slick tree, you know what I'm talking about, right. slick trees and what a cast yeah. is and, a turn, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I, I, you, I can't keep quiet. I'm not very good at keeping quiet. And they were getting real frustrated with each other. And I just stood up and said, hey, listen. This is what the biologists are trying to tell you. And, hey, DNR, this is what they're trying to tell you. You guys aren't understanding each other. And Beller says, damn, you did good at that, Mike. You, we got to go to this hunting dog federation meeting. 
And the first one I ever went to was at a little tiny building at a park at, I don't know, Perry or one of them little towns, a dark little shed where they kept the mowers or something, I guess. And it wasn't much of an organization. I, I remember. And, and we went there, and, and uh, it didn't have much to start, but it grew. It, uh, Dr. Stinson, as you know, was very well respected. And he, he grew it, and a fellow named Hal Haverstick that's now passed, as Dr. Stinson has, and you and Bill Walker and a lot of good people, Arnold Welch. And then we switched the meetings to where you said they're at MUCC, and we were on our way. Well, I suppose that you were there and already well uh, well settled in when I came along. I know that I started going to the meetings uh, at the behest of Fred Miller, who wanted me to represent the UKC in virtually anything that had to do with legislative issues in Michigan. But I can't go go any further without just mentioning a little uh, in more detail about Dr. Al Stinson. Uh, There would not be a hunting dog federation successful without Dr. Al Stinson. Case closed. Exactly. Al was born in North Carolina. He was a farm boy. He went to North Carolina State University, became a a veterinarian. He, uh, Later taught at Cornell University, and he taught at Michigan State. And he was a professor emeritus at the veterinary college there when I met him. I don't know about you, Mike. But Al Stinson was not a coon hunter, a houndsman at all. He raised retrievers. He had labs and flat coats and curly coat retrievers. But he was absolutely the most passionate advocate for dog, uh, dogs and dog owners that I ever met. And I learned so much from him, and I know that, that you did too. Yeah, you couldn't help it. If you were in, 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 in around Doc, uh, he just, uh, uh, you know, the, he just seeped all this uh, passion for dogs. And, and he coined a, a phrase that we use many times, if you recall, that we, you know, we speak for those who can't speak for themselves, our dogs. Absolutely. And, uh, but anyway, I wanted our listeners to get to know a little better, uh, Dr. Al Stinson. And unfortunately, Al has passed on and, uh, but his friendship and I worked so many, uh, hours with Doc over the years and, uh, just, just a tremendous human being. Well, you and Al Stinson, if I don't like where I'm at now, I got you two to blame for it because I'd follow you around the halls there. And, and uh, heck, you even told me, Mike, you're not dressed appropriately. I'll, I'll never forget that moment. And, uh, and and this is how we do stuff here. This is how we do stuff here. I would go, Dr. was He'd just drop into legislators and introduce himself and I'd follow him like a puppy, and if there was legislation, you guys. I, the first really big one that I that I really was on, and, and it's still to this day is absolutely one of the greatest victories we had. And it was back in 96 when they were doing that D&G proposition where basically they were trying to get rid of bear hunting with dogs. But simultaneously, 
there was a group uh, trying to create a law that if your dog trespassed, you were guilty of trespass. You lose your truck and everything, you know, hunting license and everything. And I can remember being in that. We had a meeting over to Michigan State, you, Bill Walker, Dr. Me, and Dr. Al, me, and Jim Ballard. And we decided, well, we got to fight this on both fronts because the other group was playing the fence in the middle. And I can remember being in that piece of that office there with that legislator and a couple aides in the DNR. And they, they were saying all their reasons for uh, wanting that if your dog trespassed, you trespass, which would put hound hunters out of Michigan, out of business in Michigan. We are so checkerboarded with private land, public land. We have the most public land by far east of the Mississippi. So anyway, Dr. Stenson was explaining, you know, how we should have the right to retrieve those dogs off there and animal cruelty. What if it's below zero? And he used that phrase, we're speaking for the ones that can't speak for themselves. I remember this like it was 10 minutes ago. And that guy started going, eh, uh, uh, the legislator, meaning that guy. Uh, and you slammed your hand down on the table. You were sitting on the right of Dr. Stinson and said, now listen, I published a magazine with I don't know how many, and would you want to be on the front cover label as an anti-hunter, anti-dog man that's going to allow animal cruelty? And oh my goodness, the mood changed right then. And by the time we left those tables, we had the right to retrieve, which is huge. Uh, in other words, what the right to retrieve is, is you can't let your dog just go willy-nilly on anybody's property. But let's say you're running on state or federal land and your dog goes in and trees a coon or a bear or whatever. Without a gun, you have the right to go in and bring that dog out. And that that law stands today. And uh, it was a beautiful piece of hand slamming there, Steve. <laughs> I, I remember. Well, sometimes you think in Michigan. You got to do what the situation calls for, I guess. At times, <laughs> I don't I, recommend I, that method, Mike. But sometimes you have to. I remember one time we—it may have been in that same fight, you know—that I looked yeah. over and we were getting that uh, yes, man, that head bobbing. That uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, yeah. but uh, and I looked at Al and I said, it's time to play hardball doc and he said go for it <laughs> so that might have been that might have been the prerequisite <laughs> to yeah. what happened well, you described well years later it's been oh maybe eight years ago now i tore a page out of that book i had the mucc lobbyist a young man he was sitting next to me and i was in a, a meeting with a wanda i'm not even going to go because they're still active purple people uh, active that I'm not going to say any names, but it was a important piece of legislation. And uh, the, the DNR was there and Farm Bureau was there and the Republican policy guy was there. And we were getting nowhere. And it was really important to the bear hunters, really important piece. And I don't have to say what it was to make the story funny. And I knew the legislator. I knew him for quite a long time. And uh, finally, I had enough. I, 
I, I remembered you, and I said, well, I'll just go for it. I said, listen, what you want to pass is stupid. We aren't going to have it. We want you to be reelected. You've been our friend until this issue here. But we're not going to have this. It's not going to happen. You haven't passed a piece of legislation, and you need to pass this. So let us get behind you and <laughs> and pass it. And the, the, the young 20-something guy from MEC is kicking me under the table, kicking me. And, and by golly, we got everything we wanted. It was just a page that worked just like it did for you that day. And we got done. We got out walking down the hall, and that young man says, you cannot lean over the table and tell a legislator he's stupid. And I said, well, I just did. And I said, there's something you got to learn, young man. I said, I have a lot of experience with men. I was a drill sergeant in the Army and, and a football coach, and I was raised by all World War II vets. And, and I know about men. And I said, the secret you have to learn is who you can reach over the table and wag your finger at and tell him he's stupid. And who you can—that's the secret there. So. <laughs> well, that's a great story, Mike. Really, I well, tore that right out of your book. That was a page right out of your book. And I, I was wearing a suit and tie when I did it. Another I tried that several right times. Book. I tried that method several times over the years before I learned which ones I could tell were stupid and which ones I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you I gotta... say... yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Well, no, I'm just telling you, that's that's an important thing. And the only way you do that is be familiar with the people you're trying to influence. Well, Mike, what we want to encourage our listeners today to do, of course, is to get involved because they are involved whether they want to be or not. It just depends on what role they want to play. If they want to be passive and watch their sport go by and down the tube, so to speak, or do they want to be active and make a difference and do something uh, to preserve it for the future? Um, right now, you hold the office of president of the Michigan Hanging Dog Federation. Nope. Is that correct? No, 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 no. Jim okay. Whale, who's a man I'm sure you know well. Okay. I've never been president, vice president. Al, Al passed on the title of legislative director. That's what okay. I am, the legislative okay. director. All right. Well, I stand corrected. And, of course, I've been away from Michigan now since 2000. Everybody thinks I'm the president. Well, <laughs> Everybody thinks I am because I'm, I'm the face of it, you know. But exactly. I'm not. Exactly. Well, tell us about MUCC, first of all, what it is, what it, it consists of, uh, maybe a mission statement or, or goals or why it exists and why you think it's important. Now, you asked for MUCC. I think you mean the Michigan oh, Hunting Dog. I'm Dogs, sorry. Right? Well, okay. I can tell you both. Is. I'm a talker. So. All right. So, well, let, okay. me, let, me, let me frame that for you. For our listeners, MUCC is a consortium of all the uh, outdoor uh, sporting clubs in Michigan. Is that right, Mike? Yes. Largest uh, grassroots sportsman's organization, organization in the country. Right. And it it's comprised, when I was there, I believe, of about 500 clubs, give or take, right? Yeah, right, right. right. And uh, they do they still do the Michigan uh, Outdoors uh, TV show? There still is a Michigan Outdoors TV show, but they sold that. 
I and see. It, okay. it's run by you wouldn't know that they didn't own it, but okay. they don't own it anymore. They still I, have the magazine, though. Okay, I guess my point is that Mich- it, it suffice to say that Michigan is very well organized or represented uh, in terms of dog clubs and hunting dog organizations, right? I, I'm told by people that know all around the country that we are the leader in being organized and politically active. That's what people tell me anyway. Okay. Well, given that there are two bear hunters associations in Michigan, right? The Michigan Bear Hunters Association and the UP or Upper Peninsula Bear Houndsman Association. And there's the Michigan State United Coon Hunters. And I'm sure there are other groups. So why? Michigan State Fox Hunters. Okay. They've really, since you've left, they've blossomed, shall we say. Okay, well, that's good. That's good to hear. So, why do we have then a Michigan, a broader Michigan Hunting Dog Federation, and what is the purpose? I guess is what I'm trying to get to. the The idea behind that is we're not. I fight so many hound battles that everybody thinks we're a hound group, and I got to constantly uh, remind them that we're poodles to plot hounds. We represent all dog owners' rights. Uh, We even have on our board uh, a member of the Michigan Purebred Dog Association, which Dr. Stinson used to represent them on our board. And that's the dog show people. Um, So many times, how you keep a dog or any dog laws and breed-specific laws, it affects all people that own dogs. And uh, I just had a... uh, Nice talk the other day with the Ducks Unlimited. And now they've never felt the heat like the houndsmen have felt the heat. Now they are with these uh, attacks on field trials and things like that. And animal cruelty, you know, I mean, a duck, you tip a wing and here comes a Labrador and the ducks flopping and maybe squawking or a rabbit or any of that. Society's changed so much that's not nearly as palatable as it once was. So we're there to represent all dogs, all type of hunting with dogs, as well as dog owners' rights that aren't hunting dogs. Kind of all-inclusive. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the organization itself, um, how uh, how you function. Uh, basically, you have monthly meetings. Uh, you do you uh, solicit memberships from dog clubs, or h- how is the organization formed? Well, we don't have a monthly meeting. We only have quarterly meetings. Um, and how it's formed, we have a, a board of directors, quite a quite a bit larger than when you were involved. Uh, and and we have members at large. And we have club members. Um, I, I can't give you the exact count because sure. it's kind of a month-to-month deal, but about 54 different organizations pay their dues to us as clubs and about, uh, give or take, a 1,000 members at large. Uh, wow. And we have a big fundraising banquet each year that's always sold out, very successful get our money, operating money, because it takes money. It takes money to run one of these. So 
Well, what Go ahead. Uh, in in your tenure there with the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation, what have been some of the major battles that you faced, Mike? Oh, well, we're in a constant threat from HSUS, constantly. And uh, one of the big battles is I'm on a lot of different committees, so I'm involved in a lot. Uh, and I, I'll just give you an example. I'm on the Wolf Advisory Committee, the Bear Advisory Committee, the Fur Bear Advisory Committee, the Legislative Sportsman's Caucus Advisory Committee, the Conservation Coalition. That's, an, that's one that MUCC has. It includes everybody from snowmobilers to bear hunters. Um, Citizens for Scientific Wildlife Management. I'm on that board. I'm on the UP Bearhoundsman board, the Michigan Sportsman's um, Defense Alliance, which you started when you were here, and it's still alive and still has money. That was the one when we were fighting D&G. So at that broad involvement, I've, I've fought a lot of them. I, I think when we were involved with the Wolf Plan, uh, and Wolf Plan is important because they eat bear dogs on a regular basis. And uh, we managed, it was supposed to, it was 20 people on that committee, 10 hunting and 10 animal rights. And we managed to come away with language for a public hunt uh, of wolves, a management hunt. Now, this is why it's so extraordinary that we were able to do that. Every decision made by that board to be passed on to the DNR had to be a unanimous decision. So that means the Humane Societies, the Wolf Watches, the Sierra, all of them had to sign on and agree. And that was, uh, that was a, a, a pretty darn good fight. Uh, of the one we already talked about, about the right to retrieve was big. We had a big one here a couple of years ago. And uh, they had a, what they called a puppy mill bill. And when they started out, anybody with three intact females for the purpose of breeding was going to be considered a puppy miller, large-scale commercial breeder. And, uh, and, and along with that came, you've seen it, you've seen it in other states, I think Pennsylvania just did something like this, where the dogs had to be kept in hard surface area that uh, could never go below 40 or above 80, and every dog had to be individually walked every day and had to have food and water in front of them 24-7, and they had to see a veterinarian every six months. And it just went on and on. And uh, I was at a fundraiser for a house rep up in Gaylord. And a bunch of other reps were there and a couple of senators. And I said, well, this isn't going to run. We're not going to let this out of committee. And I was just happy as a pig in mud. This, we got this stopped because we'd worked to try to stop it. I got out of there and was driving back to my camp, which is about 40 miles from Gaylord. I got a phone call. Hey, Mike, they're running that, they're running that puppy mill bill tomorrow. Oh, my Lord. Well, I luckily have a lot of private phone numbers of various legislators. and Basically, we talked to two in the morning of all the different ones. And I was able to negotiate that down that to be considered a large-scale commercial breeder, you 
the only language, the only thing it says is you've got to have 16, in fact, intact females being kept for the purposes of breeding. So I thought that was kind of a big victory for us guys because what, what a lot of people that aren't involved don't know, Steve, the Humane Societies of the United States, not the Michigan Humane or the local Humane, but of the United States, they're perfectly happy to have us die a death of a thousand cuts. And they're not stupid. They're not stuck across from the table all the time. They're not stupid. And they understand that we hunters make our own dogs and any obstacles. Uh, Dr. Stinson, and I think this might be after you moved, uh, we had to defeat twice legislation that uh, you weren't allowed to own a dog in the state of Michigan uh, that wasn't spayed or neutered unless you were a large-scale commercial breeder. So they're, they're after that all the time. And well, we've Mike, got a new... Mike, one of the things that... One of the things that I've noticed about the Humane Society of the United States is they're perfectly happy with floating stuff out there in places to see what kind of resistance it can hit. And then uh, yeah. going back and retooling their approach and coming back at it again. And, and what I, I mean, it's almost like they read Sun Tzu's Art of War and, the, and uh, studied the yeah. art of deception. And I know they are well-educated, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't if some of them haven't read the art of war and how to fight this stuff. I mean, that's how organized this, these people are. I worked with, um, I was one of the founders of the Hoosier tree dog Alliance here in Indiana and, and we fought several of the same battles. And, uh, uh, it's amazing how organized, educated, well-funded. I mean, these guys aren't planning their strategy on flannel graph in a, in a tool shed like, like we often start out and, and try to do. I mean, they've got their own IT people and pay people to do nothing but sit around and watch social media and, and glean information so that they can use it to attack us in the future. Um, there's no doubt everything that I've ever heard about the Michigan uh, organizations up there, you guys are extremely well-funded or I'm sorry, organized, extremely well organized. And I would like to talk about that a little bit, about how you and the, the other people in Michigan were able to, to get people on board because I've heard it described as a culture um, with, with hunting dog people. And, and that's what we're about here is trying to encourage other people because there aren't many hunters that are driving around with, with uh, several legislators personal phone numbers in their phone that they can, you know, they can call and have a chat with. So how did, how did you get to that point? Just build us to that. What are, what are you doing up there? That's, that's making that possible where, where you have that kind of influence. Well, I, I'm, I will be specific, but first of all, I want to get a little, uh, I was a history teacher and a all of you good old boys come from the South up to work in them auto factories. And you brought with you that hound tradition. When you got up here, that's when things were being unionized. And you learned how to, you get organized. If you were of my age, I'm going to be 72 here next week. You're my age. You were brought up that it was either your grandfather or your father that was beating heads on, uh, or getting beat on the strikes and organized. So we've got that rich hound 
tradition brought from the South up, and then the organizational skills that the unions taught our forefathers. So we kind of knew how to do that. Now, how do we do this specifically? Well, Dr. Al is the one we got to keep referring back because uh, once he retired, all oh, three days a week, at least, he would just go. Uh, he just lived right on the edge of our capital, and he'd go and drop in and introduce himself and visit with the legislature, and this is what we do, and if you ever need any information. And he would do that so everybody knew him. And uh, we learned that lesson, and that's what you have to do. You, you have to be... You have to be a player. I mentioned all those committees I'm on, and you go to those. If you want an influence, you have to be a player, and you can't go there. You you go in, and you get so when I walk in to uh, a, a sportsman's caucus breakfast, we have one the first Thursday in every month, and a sportsman's caucus is the largest uh, caucus in Michigan. It's bipartisan. And they have a breakfast, and we sponsor one of them breakfasts every year. Make sure we give away some nice guns and stuff. But you got to be, you got to be in front of those people, and they got to know you as Mike, or whoever. You know, you you can't, you can't just waltz in when there's a problem. You have to get organized. So you got to get a board of directors. You got to have meetings. You got to raise money. Money is important. Money is very important. You have to donate here and sponsor there, and it's 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 not that cheap. I mean, it you got to be able to do it. And when a fight comes up, like the Citizens Special Wildlife Management a fight come up, uh, Michigan Bear Hunters wrote a check for a hundred thousand dollars just to get started, and we we spent over a million three, I think. Don't hold me to it. Could have been two. Could have been four. But right in that neighborhood, winning that uh, referendum. So, one of you've got to get organized. You've got to be a player. You've got to be there. Yep. So I had a yeah. rep. I had a representative come and talk to our membership at a meeting one time, and the thing that he said was, "It's not nearly as important for you to know my name as it is for me to know your name." Uh, exactly. This representative told our people that, and and I think a lot of times we sit back, and it's not just houndsmen. It's it's your average citizen. I mean, we think that these elected yeah. officials are not accessible to us when in fact they really want to be accessible to us uh, and hear what our needs are so that they could represent us. And if, if they're, if they don't want to be, that's why you vote them out. That's, that's absolutely true. And I can tell you in Michigan, Joe Hudson is the president of UP bear houndsman and the current president is Tim Dusterwinkle of Michigan bear hunters. And uh, I'm the four guy, I'm not the president, but th- everybody knows them in Lansing. Everybody. You walk in the room, everybody's trying to wave at you. Uh, we've got a little thing we were honored to do here. Uh, after every election, I, uh, I'm invited to speak to all the incoming legislators, and I tell them who we are and about the Natural Resources Commission here, and uh, I I probably get a little out of line and tell them about the evils of the United States and a bag of money, and 
and you owe it to your constituents to to hear both sides of every story, you know. And I, I, it's been pretty well received. So that's it's the key. You got to get somebody that's got the time. Like when Steve was here, that was his job, and Doctor Stinson was retired. And you got to have somebody. Bill Walker, he was free to do it, but you got to be there. Uh, I got a call the other. I get lots of calls from legislators now. And I got a call. I got a a thing we just are working on right now, uh, tightening up our hunter harassment law. And I had the committee of the Natural Resources Commission uh, ask us in the House, uh, ask the vice president of the Michigan Bear Hunters, the president couldn't make it, and myself. He had a committee hearing for a whole hour of no business just for us to introduce ourselves, tell them what we were about, and allow the committee members uh, to question us and back and forth. Well, after that, uh, there's a legislator that's going to sponsor a bill uh, keeping the antis from uh, recording and videotaping and drones and stuff like that, tighten our hunter harassment up. And he called me and he said, Mike, would you come in and um, give some testimony on that? And I said, sure. But that man would have never known me or, or known how I acted or whatever if I hadn't been there. That he, he would, that's just a perfect example of what you just stated, Chris. Just perfect example. Yeah. And he, you don't have to be very smart. I'm not very smart, but I talk a lot. And uh, and I'm not afraid to talk, and somebody's got to do it. I taught somebody's him that. I taught him that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> they they gave me holy heck for talking too much, Mike. So it uh, it was good to hear you say that. <laughs> I got introduced. I, I I got a I got a I got a little funny about that, Steve. I get to speak every year. I get whatever time I want to speak at the UP Bear Houndsman Convention, a pretty big convention, over 500. The Michigan Bear Hunters, over 500. I get a time to address the crowd. And uh, I got introduced there uh, this year. And the gentleman introduced me. says, this is Mike Thorman, and the most dangerous place in this room is between him and a microphone. So here he is. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, you bring back a lot of good memories for me, Mike. Uh, the, my days of the the good people of the Michigan Bear Hunters let me emcee uh, their their banquet for many many years, and I enjoyed that so much. And and they uh, seemed to like my corny jokes and my Bubba stories and that sort yeah. of thing. But yeah, it, those years were so special to me. But, you know, out here today listening to this podcast, there's got to be uh, somebody that says, you know what, I know what these guys are saying is true. I know that I need to get involved. You know, I, I need to do something, but I'm only one. I don't know what to do. Um, do you guys have up there in any of the clubs have a model for club uh, for organizations that want to get started and and what are the the first steps or is there any kind of a template available that uh, uh, you know that uh, uh, a wannabe uh, for lack of a better term could use to get started 
not that I know of, but that's a great idea. Uh, we ought to have that, you know, a template. I've been called by some other states two or three times. So I want to get going. I want to organize. New Hampshire was one of them. Uh, first of all, you got to have money. You, you got to have money to put out a newsletter. You got to have money for travel expenses. You got to have money for legislators to contribute and sponsor. And the first thing you have to do, or in my opinion, organization is uh, learn how to raise money. And uh, well, that's let's very talk important. about your banquet a little bit because that's yeah. your, the main way that you've been able to do that. Yeah. We know we know yeah. the big boys do it the same way: Quail Unlimited, Ducks yeah. Unlimited, Wild Turkey Federation, uh, whatever. So, expound on that a little bit. Well, we're a little bit different than all all the other banquets. Uh, Jimmy Ballard, this is Jim Ballard. He gets full credit on this. We were having a nice Ducks Unlimited kind of a banquet. We weren't making any money. And Jim said, we're just going to have a party, and we don't care if we make any money. We're going to have an open bar and a prime rib dinner, and we're going to give away a ton of guns. And we followed that, and uh, it's been very successful for us. Uh, we're sell out every year within two weeks of announcing um, tickets. They're sold out, and we give away a lot of a lot a lot of guns. Uh, heck, if you buy a two hundred and fifty dollar package on the way in the door, you got to listen to what the people want. Now we have six tables, each table with two guns, just to give you ideas of how to get the people to spend their money. And and then there's everything else on there, from duck decoys to tree stands to dog leashes, collars, but mostly expensive things. And if you buy a $450 ticket package on the way in, we will give you your choice of a gun, and we'll have a half a dozen guns there you can choose from, or a TT-15 garment. And, wow, now they can go home and tell mama they want a gun or a car or something, you know. They don't have to say I come home broke for nothing. And it helps to have an open bar. So I like to say ours is like a wild Polish wedding with a lot of guns. I hope that doesn't <laughs> offend anybody, but people in Michigan will understand that. Uh, and uh, I can, it, what have men want? I can vouch for what you're saying is true, uh, Mike, because I was there when that transition was made yep. uh, to that type of, uh, of a fundraiser, and it, it definitely does work. You know, we uh, don't have it at a big enough venue. We can only seat 280 people. But out of 280 people, we got $58,000 this year. Now, that shows how dedicated them people wow. are that are coming there that's, to keep that's, us going. That's a good oh, haul. And one of the things, I, I guess what I'd like to, to drill down on here a little bit, Mike, you know, there's Steve started down the path of – We've got to we've got to be able to tell people this this problem is not going away on its own, and Michigan oh. Michigan is not going to fight the fight for all of us. No single organization is. We've got to get these these guys these hunters involved, uh, and and aware of what's happening around the country. But you start talking about fifty eight thousand dollars, and you're and and people are looking at that like. How in the world do I do that? So, I mean, it's not that hard. 
Yeah. Oh, so, Mike, let me jump in here. If Chris, can I interrupt right here? You or, go for it. Or, you want to finish your thought? Nope. <clears throat> okay. I I've told this story many times, and Mike has heard it. I know and lived through it probably. <clears throat> when we fought, when we faced that Proposition D. Back in yeah. the ni- 90s, I don't remember exactly the year. Maybe you do. 96. 96. 96. Okay. The issue was to stop bear hunting with hounds and overbait. Period. Stop it. <clears throat> they went to the, the shopping malls in Detroit and Grand Rapids and Flint and anywhere they could, and they raised enough signatures to get this on the ballot. So now we face a referendum in November and the experts tell us that in order to defeat this, we're going to have to raise enough funds or, or launch a media campaign equivalent to that of electing a governor. Yep. And here we are, a bunch of hounds people and dog people and deer hunters and all around and and I mentioned that because without the aid of, of the deer hunters in Michigan, we probably would have lost that fight because we had to make it a anti-hunting issue, not just a dog right. issue. But we were taught $2 million. How are we going to do this? And I may miss the details a little bit, but what happened, and I'll try to be brief, some, some good old boys up in the UP sitting in the garage Talking. Joe Hudson. Those guys started talking and said, you know, um, I've got a five acres of ground that I would donate to this cause in the UP. Now, if you live in Michigan, there's a mystic land of opportunity, <laughs> promise, and eternal joy called up north. <laughs> up north. Everybody that is a troll... In other words, that lives below the bridge that crosses the Straits of Mackinac, loves to go up north because it the UP truly is a, a magical place. But anyway, the guy says, okay, I'll donate five acres of ground. Someone else chimes in and says, well, you know, I'll donate one of those prefab cabin packages. And someone else says, well, you know, I got a construction crew. We can put that thing together. And they said, well, you know what? Let's just put together a cabin package on five acres of ground in the UP and sell it for five bucks a chance. And they raised raised $1.1 million with an M dollars on that idea. So when I tell that, I still get a lump in my throat because it illustrates that Nothing is impossible if you have the will and you have the determination. All it takes is an idea, and I've used this before, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. And that's exactly what happened there. And uh, and you go ahead, Mike, but I, I just uh, that's just such an amazing story to me. It, it, and I think we got to do a little bit of explanation here. Uh, a referendum. See, Michigan, not all states are referendum states. Right. In Michigan, all you got to do is have uh, 175,000 signatures, and you can get anything you want put on the ballot. And 175,000, that's just change for HSUS. Wisconsin, they're very well organized, but they're not a referendum state. They only got to deal with legislative attacks. We got to deal with 
uh, unfriendly legislative attacks and the possibilities of a referendum. And that's, that is so, that's a monstrous job here in Michigan. And we've, we've only had to defend it twice in 96. And then with this, uh, with the Wolf deal, we had to ref, uh, come up with that kind of money and, and beat it then. But now they're talking $3 million to do a referendum. Well, so the place, the place these guys have got to start waking up and paying attention is, you know, it's great to know what kind of hound you want to hunt, but you, you need to start by knowing if you're in a referendum state. You know, and, yes, and getting plugged in absolutely. at that level. Maine, Maine is a referendum state, and they just fought that horrendous battle up yep. there against HSUS. We sent money to them. Yeah. Yep. And these and <laughs> HSUS, I guarantee you, they know what states are referendum states, and that's what they're <laughs> going after first. They are no doubt attacking those, and they. You, we got to know this. Well, kind I of can tell you this. I. I'm on the Bear Advisory Forum, they call it. And who shows up but the new HSUS representative, young lady? She demanded to have a seat on that advisory group. And they, DNR wouldn't let her. But they let her speak at the start of the meeting. She had about four pages speech. And they've already <laughs> done all the, uh, well, I'm telling you, they've done all the polling. Uh, 80% of the people in Michigan think that uh, uh, hunting with hounds is cruel and barbaric and unnecessary and unsportsmanlike. And she ended with the flat challenge that we're going to stop hounding in the state of Michigan. Now, that's where we're at. Uh, If that doesn't wake you up, what will? Now, I've sat across from HSUS for a lot of years. I, I think, Steve, this is my 24th year. Of course, I was just a rookie bat boy when you were starting up in here. But uh, they intend, and I've tried to spread this across the country as much as I can. We've pretty much cleaned it up here in Michigan. They intend to stop hunting with hounds by linking it to animal cruelty and dog fighting. And here in Michigan, I've been, when I gave my talk this year to the Michigan Bear Hunters, if we lose hounding, it's it's us that are going to stop it by our actions. Every time you put a dog in the box and head down the road, you're the face of all hound hunters. And these guys around the country, I, oh, I I will refrain from using the names I'd like to call them, but showing half a dozen dogs stretching a coyote and putting it on social media. How stupid are you? Why don't you just write a check and send it to the Humane Society? Hey, let's and talk. Let's I, talk about that real quick, Mike, because that seems yeah, to be a very hot topic. That uh, yeah. we started down the road in another conversation in another podcast, but you know how you tell me the effects because I've seen it and I want your take on this. Uh, you can well, be there. Spe- you can be there speaking with all of the facts, all of the knowledge that you have, and and try to lay out the truth for houndsmen and what we're about. And how much damage does a, a ten second or a thirty second sensationalized video? How hard is that to overcome in a in a legislative body or a natural resources commission meeting? It 
it's terrible. They pulled me flat right to my face. I'm repeating it so everybody will hear it. They're going to connect it to animal cruelty. Now, I don't care if it's a bear or a coyote or a coon or what it is. The general public has gotten so far away from the land. I always taught all my history students the further the population gets away from the farm, the less out of touch of reality they become in almost all phases of everything. But anyway, that yeah, they, is these their people, these, now, people, these people kill, you know, the people we're talking about, they kill, kill meat with their checkbook, and they think it grows on yeah. the meat, meat tree in cellophane yeah. wrapper. Yeah. Yes. And I always say, I always got a thing I say about that. I'm going to respond right to that before I go on to the more important thing. Uh, whenever that comes up in an area, I said, listen, if you're any kind of a man, every time you kill something, it takes a little nick out of your soul. It does. You've got the fact, right, that you killed that, and you got your hands bloody to bring that home to feed your family. And the other people, they just, it's unpleasant, and and it isn't, it, it's the chase that's the joy, not the kill and processing, And in my mind. And you other people just pay somebody to do that unpleasant task for you and then condemn me because I was willing to get blood on my own hands. And, oh, my God, I get told I'm a wimp and I don't know nothing. Well, I'll tell you what, I wasn't raised, I was raised a killer. I couldn't even tell you the, the zillion of animals trapped and killed by my dad and I and my brother. But anyway, they, you show six, seven dogs stretching anything, or even two dogs, and, and you show that to an ad, a regular urban citizen, and they're going to say, well, that's terrible. That, right. Well, we got to stop that. That's terrible. Now, in Michigan, I've preached it, and we pretty much got it under control up here. I, I don't see much anymore. I started look at, uh, working with uh, Ernie Weir, the uh, coyote, hound, whatever that site is. I should know it right off the tip of my tongue. And he put on there that no teeth on anything. But there's still a lot of guys, a lot of guys from your state, Chris, that are showing that, you know, and, and out west where they're, where they're in that big open country where they're running down and killing them and laughing about it and stuff. That, if we lose hound hunting, it's going to be us that gave it away. You can't do that because how do you defend that? How do you defend that that's a good thing? And when I say that, people say, oh, you're a sissy, you're a wimp. we got to stand up to them and be proud of what we do. Well, I'm, I'm oh, holy cow, you're going to get me pretty wound up here, boys. <laughs> I want my grandkids. The only reason I do this is my great-grandfather came from Germany straight. He had shot a deer on the Duke's land. And there went his house, his job, everything. He had to come over here. And from when I was a little boy listening to broken English, we can't let America become like Europe, where the landed aristocracy hunts and the rest of us clean the game. And that's how I, the driving force keeps me going. And by golly, I'd like my grandson's son to be able to run a dog. But the fact of the matter is, Steve was just talking about the UP. There's about 250,000 people live in the UP. One city downstate can cancel. They can all vote one way. And one city, let's say of Ann Arbor, can cancel their vote. 
Right. And so you, you, people say you got to stand up and not be afraid and be proud of what you do. I'm pretty proud of my hounds, and I'm pretty proud of hunting, but I'm not stupid enough to put something on there that I know darn well 80% of the people in the state of Michigan are going to say, well, we got to stop that. Well, I they, think I think they, you're on no to something there. Something there, Mike. You know, you said that people are telling we well, got to stand up, and we do have to stand up. Nobody's saying that you got to be ashamed yeah. ashamed of what we do, but we've also got to realize that there is no no, and I'll say it again: no politician that is going to give up his credibility to defend Mike Thorman if if you if you post things like that on they can't win we're only we're only five nope. percent of the population now yeah so we cannot defend that sort of thing and we may we may offend some people out there and i know what goes on on a hound hunt you don't have to show me that yep. i don't care if your dog knows how to how to stretch a raccoon or or I've seen it, I've experienced it firsthand, and every season houndsman has, and if you can't get past that, you're a rookie. You're a rookie houndsman. That's what got me excited when I was 13 years old. I thought it was cool to watch a dog bark at a, a, a coon in a cage, and that doesn't excite me anymore. That's not what the big game here is, and I know now from the work that I've done that it's, it's, it is killing us because these – we talked about yep. HSUS having these people that are paid to sit there and scour social media. And they'll take – they don't care anything about the context of the hunt. You can have a 30-minute video talking about your kids, talking about your fellowship, yep. talking about all this stuff, and they take 10 seconds of it, put it in a video, and break it off in you. And and, and there's no way that we can right. defend that or any politician will get behind that and say, we want to support these guys. You're absolutely right. I, I don't know why they do it. Uh, the fellas that do it, I, they seem to be younger guys on the post, you know, and I try to, I, I kind of, I go right. I don't go nasty, but I'll go to private message. I won't answer them on Facebook or anything. You know, I'll go to a private message and I'll say, man, you got to stop that. You're, you're helping the other side. And well, uh, the, the uh, point, the point is, Mike, is that that is definitely a detriment to our sport. So don't do it. Whether exactly. for whatever reason you think it's okay, it's not. In the bigger exactly. picture of preserving our sport, that's all really that we need to say. And anybody. Uh, uh, as an old preacher that I heard back in West Virginia would say, anybody with one eye and half sense can figure that out. You know? <laughs> I like <laughs> that. that. Can I use that? Can I, can I quote you? Uh, let's <sighs> move on before we uh, <laughs> get, ah, get my blood pressure up there any higher. We all are. <laughs> and we are all very passionate about it. But what I would like to see, Mike and Chris, is people out there that are listening to us today to get as excited about this fight to preserve our sport for for ourselves and future generations as they are excited about being able to post something that they feel that it's their right 
to post on social media. That is majoring in the minors. The big picture is we got to get in the fight. We've got to get smart. We've got to work smart. We've got to fundraise. We've got to do everything we can. You know, I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, hunters will go out and buy a $40,000 pickup truck, a $800,000 dog box, a $300 light, a $600 tracking system. They need to, at the same time, buy a booklet that says, how do I contribute to, yeah. well, to uh, Steve, preserving I've, this sport for the future? I've spent all that. I've well, spent all that money. I've spent all that money on that stuff. And then I haul around a $10 hound. So, so. <laughs> join the club. <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the things that can really, this is the encouraging part. If you want to be a social justice warrior and post stuff on Facebook, then, then get involved with your hound organization and organize a youth hunt, organize a, a disabled veterans hunt, Send kids to youth camp and use use social media to promote the those kind of things that are going going to build credibility and put an emotional attachment to these organizations that are doing good things. We're not just about hunting and tracking stuff down them and and having our hounds chase it. You know, we really we really have to market ourselves that we are doing good things out there. You know, we've got hound, hound organizations, private clubs here that, that open up their doors every year for, for landowners that allow them to hunt on their property, fix a big meal, and invite all these landowners to come in and, and have a, a, a big dinner once a year. You know, yeah. don't just do it. If you want to put something on social media, take a video of that. Organize that and take a video of that. You know, you've got community involvement. So is, is Michigan doing anything like that, Mike? Well, uh, not of the landowners that I know of, but we are constantly, I referred to we got the wolf hunt, if it ever gets delisted nationally, uh, we'll get a wolf hunt back. And how did we get that with the 20 antis at the table? I mean, 10 antis out of 20 at the table. We presented ourselves in the way that we should present ourselves. And those women that were there would say, boy, you're, you're not like any of the bear hunters I ran into with, you know. And we even took one of the most outspoken ones, uh, put her in the truck, and took her out. Now, that's what we're doing with our legislators. We're putting them in the trucks, taking them with us. This is what really happens. This is what it is. And showing them. We made a video. We had Clay Newcomb. I'm sure both of you know him. Yep. Uh, we had Clay Newcomb come up and... Uh, made a beautiful video, uh, and it was... It is. I, think, I saw it. You bet. And it, it, it's the way it should be. You know, a lot of children. Uh, show show us for what we really are. Uh, I'm kind of excited here in Michigan. They just named us a co-chair of the Sportsman's Caucus, uh, a lady from the Detroit, uh, Leslie Love. I think she's third term. And she has, I believe she's she's the chair of i think i think the urban caucus i'm not sure exactly but they invited her to come up to the bear hunters and uh oh she had a wonderful time and we gave her a video and we took her fishing on the uh detroit river and she caught a walleye and she come to the sportsman's caucus the other day and uh, breakfast 
And she got the microphone. She says, anybody here was up the treetops? That's where the MBHA has theirs. I mean, we're worth 50000 there, 150000 But anyway, uh, she says, what great people. And I says, yeah, I was there. She looks at me and goes, oh, Mike, big hug for Mike. Now, yeah. I'm not blowing my horn there. I'm just blowing. I paid attention to her. She's a wonderful lady. She knows nothing about hunting, fishing whatsoever. So we're showing her the truth of what it's like and what kind of people we are. And she spoke in front of all those legislators what wonderful people we were, how we take care of our kids and our animals are wonderful. Now, if something comes up where the urban people just vote, there's there's a and she makes her whole uh, committee come to the meetings. And there's several of them. People of color that we're going to take out in the trucks this summer and really show them what bear hunting is really like ahead of what the uh, HSUS is going to show them. So that 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 kind of stuff is important. That's a lot like the deer thing, but it's with the legislators. So when HSUS comes up and wants to say how terrible it is, they'll say, hold it. I know these people. I went out with these people. It isn't like that. I think if I had any advice for anybody that wants to get going, and, and I know we've bounced on this a little bit here, is don't get behind the eight ball. Organize ahead of the crisis. Go Good to the stuff. go to the legislators. Don't go there in your camouflage shirt. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but a guy named Steve taught me a long time ago. He said, "Look around this Capitol building. Every woman's dressed, and every man has a coat and tie on. When you come here, you don't want to appear like we're some country bumpkin that they got to just pay some lip service to. When you go there, or the people you send there, you got to make sure." that they're on the same intellectual level and able to represent you like you need to be represented. And you can't just go when there's trouble. you got to do what Dr. Al did. Buddy just did it out of uh, W Buddy out there in Washington. And he got a bill passed. He uh, sent me a text of he was at the signing. He said, I had my jacket on, just like you said. All that stuff's important. Get, get a group together. Form some bylaws, you know, whatever you have to have. They're pretty much standard, I guess. Or you could look at ours or anybody's. I'm sure we can send them to you. Or MUCC in Michigan, you contact them. They'll tell you. They can send you a pamphlet or a blueprint. I didn't realize that when we spoke about it first, Steve, of what, what you have to do to organize a sportsman's club. And then have a couple guys, maybe retired guys, because they, they don't, they got the time. And go and go and go and have yourself known. You don't have to be known to the Transportation Committee, but you gosh darn want to be known to the Natural Resources Committee and the Agricultural Committee. I also have a seat I didn't mention on the Companion Animal Committee. I think Steve or Dr. Stinson was on that, uh, and they right. kind of abandoned it. But when we, when we defeated that puppy mill and we got that all gutted, they made an advisory committee, and uh, our, I was tight with the uh, head of the ag committee, and he made sure I had a couple seats on there, or we had a couple seats on there. So you got to go. You got to get involved. You, you you can't go 
after the trouble starts ahead. It's really hard to defeat legislation once it's got legs and running, but it's really not that hard to go in and head it off at the pass. And you just have to know it, have somebody that bird dogs all the legislation. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The legislators are just like you. They pull their pants on the same way you do. Just go in and talk to them. Get to know them. So, like Steve said, it's way more important for them to know my name than mine to know theirs. Right. And, uh, and, well, and that's what I work at. That's what I do. I'm there all the time in front of them running my mouth. Mike, we're going on an hour and 20 minutes here. It's been oh, a great my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> It's been a it's been an awesome I told you, conversation. Out. If you let me talk, you gotta well, be careful when you let me talk. Yeah, we all we you, there's no doubt about the passion about this topic in this crowd, for sure, and and uh, we're definitely we need to we need to continue to have these conversations, and and do another episode. I'd love to get into talking about. Uh, coordinating with other other hunting groups and how important that is but we just don't have time today so i just i want to say one thing on that the reason i'm successful in lansing doesn't have a darn thing to do with me personally it's because they know i can make a deal and i'm speaking for all the dog groups plus the michigan's uh, the up sportsman's alliance they got 50 some clubs up there and i am one man and they don't pay attention to me because they think I'm wonderful. They pay attention to me because they know I'm talking for voters from Ohio to Wisconsin. And that's important. Affiliate. Work together. Speak with one voice. Yeah. Extremely. might be the most important thing. Mike, that's a great place to end this podcast today. I knew when we brought you on, you would not disappoint our listeners. I'm sure we're going to get tons of feedback and questions, and and I'll be sure to give them your private number so they can call you at 2 o'clock. <laughs> That'd be fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, if you get into this position, it is not unusual for me to spend six, seven hours a day on the phone when things are happening. I'm sure. it, it's busy. It's been great to visit with you again, my friend. Well, Steve, oh, you anytime. Got, Steve, you got any closing closing remarks or closing thoughts? Well, Chris and, and Mike, I'll say this, and I've said it many times to the groups that I speak to around the country. Uh, I did many things in my career of 33 years, had a lot of hats, had a lot of activities, things that were accomplished that I'm proud of, some probably not so proud of, but the most rewarding and important work that I did in that career was the legislative work on behalf of our dogs and our hound, our dog hunters. And Mike, the work you're doing is carrying that on. And man, it, it just makes me swell up with pride to think about how great things are going up there in Michigan. What a great state to live in. Fantastic people up there. And you're just doing an awesome job. And, and I'm just so glad that you came on. Chris, I guess it's time for me to close this thing with my normal uh, uh, closure, the words of my old bear hunting friend in West Virginia. Chris, you follow your hound and I'll follow mine.